Hey everybody, Kip here. Just want to let you know what's going on. Uh, this is our summer bonus episode looking at Terminator 2 with the cast of Rangers playing of Sid and Ashley. Now, uh, this got held back at first by our computers in August, but then the hurricane season uh, wrapping up, we decided to uh, not record and um, not put that like extra burden on to Kupstick Senpai to try and record uh, in the middle of Hurricane Ian. And since it's just standing in now, and we'll be back to normal in two weeks, Comrade Geats and Fudo P.I., Next week for, Gar for Garo, we will have That Is Normal 2, episodes uh, 16 through 20. Me, Steph, and David. But also, Halloween's starting up soon, and there's going to be a bunch of fun bonus episodes. Uh, Trick or Treat, Dog Soldiers, Click Out Smart Space, and maybe something a little bit more instructive. But for now... Who is your daddy, and what does he do? Shit, sorry, wrong button. Hen... Shin... Common Rider. I'm your host, Kiss Piss. With me is Scuzz Bucket Sid and Adirondack. I don't have a good A thing, huh? Uh, it's actually Hi. <laughs> Hi. You might know them better as the Rangers Flank crew, and they're here to talk about Terminator 2, uh, a fun summer toku ish sometimes. It has effects in it. Yeah. Close enough. You know, sometimes just like, uh, it has effects. I want to talk about it. Here we go. Yeah, I, I'd say if you were thinking of like, you know, maybe more American, but sort of aligned with the classic definition of tofu, Toku, the first Terminator definitely is. Yeah, it's like, what, how would how would Terminator fall on the Tokusatsu like graph? I, I forget the name, like, what exactly that graph is called, but it has like Toku yeah. pure, Toku neutral, Toku radical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did Garbage Pail Kids recently, and I was like, this counts. They're in suits. <laughs> there's, there's, whatever. Yeah, I feel like if you're wearing a rubber suit to, like, be the monster or even be one of the main characters, it's definitely a tokusatsu. Yeah. Mm. The, the first film definitely had some of that, like, stuff that, like, like yeah. background projections and miniatures that were done in, like, stop motion and other shit you'll find in Eddie's tokusatsu <laughs> movie. I love the scene where um, the Terminator's taking the like bullet from its eye and like in the like bathroom sink in its like apartment. Right. Yeah. That's great. Oh yeah, that that's pretty. It's like one of the the really good uh, puppet there, and they definitely gotten better since Terminator with Terminator Two. Uh, one of the things that actually very amazed me with watching Terminator Two is like, wow. This movie aged very well, yeah. despite the special effects and what was going on at the time, where, like, it's basically past 30 years at this point. And the movie still looks fantastic. Yeah, it's, it does. it's kind of ridiculous how good it looks. Because it got, like, remastered, but, like, the effects, like, didn't get touched too much, right? Yeah, it, and the rem a lot of the remastering was done by Cameron, so, because he's very control freaky, so... Oh, that's fine. If there's one person that I will give as many passes as they need is James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is also what the past like 15 years of 
his career has been with like the next four Avatar movies, I guess. So yeah, yeah he's just like I'm just gonna do Avatar, and I'm like, cool. We all wish we could do stuff for what, that we created when we were around uh, twelve years old. Yeah, but um, Terminator Two, just what a great movie. Um, what a great movie to revisit. I like would probably say like, oh yeah, like my top five movies. Like I love like the third man, but like in my heart of hearts to be like Joe dirt Terminator two, just all these like movies I'd watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it that somebody used, like, I usually see like whenever, you know, somebody makes those posts about like, what were the most listened to bands you had in high school? And don't say like some hipster band from Vancouver, just to make yourself look cool. Like what's your real answer? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, for me, so much of, like, my musical taste was informed by uh, Digimon the movie, personally. <laughs> I know, I know mine very early on was like, it's like, well, well, who'd you listen to a lot? And I'm like, probably some Visual K bands, uh, but not as, they weren't really Visual K, but I listened to a lot of Siam Shade. Like, it's right. just like, bands that did openings for animes was my high school experience. <laughs> right. And then Green Day. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and Green Day, yeah, of course, <laughs> that's how we met. Um, but yeah, the, the point being that, like, yeah, I feel like Terminator 2 for a lot of people, like, not so much for me, but I did see Terminator 2 before I saw the rest of the Terminator franchise. To be fair, that's me too. Me too, honestly. Yeah, um, that I feel like a bunch of people that, like, if they if you ask them to say what movies they've seen the most, like, Terminator 2 would be one of those, because it's one of those films that I, if I had cable and it was on cable, I'm like, well, I'll, of course I'm going to sit down and watch yeah. Terminator 2. Like, that was a, that was a kind of a big thing. It was definitely on cable a lot when I was, like, very, like, about preteen, and it was just constantly on, I would just constantly watch it, because my... I just got really obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger for a little bit. And then I just remember my dad just started noticing I would always watch Terminator 2 on X. I think it was X. He's like, hey, do you want to watch the first one? And then he, he had to explain what sex was. And that was real funny. <laughs> I And I'm not even joking. It's good. I think it's either. It, I think maybe I'm mixing this up from when the time my dad showed me Team America. <laughs> but like. At some point, there's like there was a couple of films. My dad is like, "You still haven't somehow seen this? Okay, yeah. we're gonna sit down and watch this." And one was Team America, the other was Terminator <laughs> Two. Mine was a lot of '80s action movies. I remember and Full Metal Jacket for some weird reason. Yeah, but uh, okay, <laughs> which it's like it's more of a prestige '80s action movie. If I'm gonna be perfectly honest, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, I would say out of all of the. I would say, yeah, Terminator or Terminator 2 out of, like, all of those kind of, like, 80s slash early 90s action films. Those are the ones that definitely have aged yeah. the best. Um, And I I mean, obviously, I haven't seen any of the Predator movies, oh, so I what? can't really speak for that. Really? No, I haven't! Predator so I haven't! Good. Predator 1, Predator 2, there's not a bad, okay, there's not an uninteresting Predator movie. Yeah, let, let's, let's say that. <laughs> not, I need to see Prey, but, you know... Yeah, I need. So, I do want to yeah, see Prey. Like, I'd say, yeah, sounds like Prey and Predator are kind of like the really good solid action ones, and mm -hmm. the rest of them are just kind of zany and fun. Predator Two would be your favorite though, Sid. I yeah. can guarantee. Oh my goodness, I I should rewatch Bill it Paxton. Uh, I do love Bill Paxton. I love him. Yeah, you guys love Bill Paxton. Uh, he's in Terminator One. 
Really? Is there a bad Bill Paxton movie? I'll say that. <laughs> I still haven't shown Ashley Twister. <laughs> Probably. He's been a lot of stuff. Yeah, you keep... Twister is... Okay, if for anybody who's ever watched Uh, like, especially those early seasons, Twister is our contact. Um, and that Sid loves Twister and will always bring up Twister, and I have never seen Twister. Or I've seen bits and pieces of Twister, but I've never seen it in a full rap. You know there's some, like, metal balls and there's a cow. That's all you need to know, really. Helen Hunt's very pretty. Mm, yeah. Bill Paxton is there. I always get... Uh, is Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman Bill the Pullman's one in the one Independence, Independence Day? Day. Okay, Everyone does. <laughs> Bill Paxton is there is like the name of like a fun home style graphic novel about like every movie you've seen with a strange parrot or something. But oh yeah, just just tracking all the, your childhood memories through seeing Bill Paxton, Paxton on yeah. TV. <laughs> Shows up, it's like oh, it's Bill. Uh, but yeah. So to to talk a little bit like about like um. The Terminator movies, though, um, one thing that uh, we all mentioned was this was the first Terminator movie that we saw. And one like crucial detail is like, I'm not sure if you've seen like the trailer for Terminator 2, but it's playing off of a like reveal or like a twist that nobody who's probably seen Terminator 2 after it came out knew about, which is that like the Terminator is the good guy. And it's like playing off of like promising not to kill anyone. And that was uh, like a shocking thing. It was like Darth Vader shocking. But like nowadays, nobody has that twist that like, like this Terminator is not the bad guy. Yeah. I have vague memories of this movie being made because it was around the time I was forming memories. So I as as I've mentioned to you previously, Sid, like my dad also likes to tell me that Terminator 2 is the first movie I saw in theaters because when him and my mom were still together and. Uh, I was about a year old. They went and saw it at a drive-in in Hawaii and just brought me because, well, yeah. it's a drive-in. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess like I always just assumed that like I from posters and stuff that they gave it away in the marketing. But again, since I wouldn't have no been around at that time, I wouldn't have known that like that was the twist. It's weird to think we don't have that context, though, like and like we really can't have that context because like everyone knows like. Yeah. The positive like Terminator moments from this movie, which there's a lot of. And I was like, watch this movie. And I was like, oh, did I get the extended cut? And they realized, no, there's just a lot of little moments and downtimes in this movie, like with the characters. I was like, oh, wow, this is like this feels like a director's cut just because of yeah how slow it's taking some bits. Um, there's actually two yeah. different types of extended cut. <laughs> I made Ashley it's watch true. the like really long one. And I felt bad because uh, I watched I watched that one obsessively as a child. Somehow, Child B watched this almost three-hour-long movie <laughs> constantly. Because, of you know, but... Because uh, I remember we watching with Ashley when we watched all the Terminator films. Because I did that dad thing of, like, hey, you haven't watched this? Um, and I was like, I just kept apologizing. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Child me liked this, but adult me is like, this is dragging. Right. I will say that I feel like the closest that the Terminator, the rest of the Terminator franchise has gotten to having like a big twist like that is Dark Fate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you know the twist of Dark Fate? I haven't seen Genesis or Dark Fate. Oh. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it, it for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want It's a really good so. twist at the beginning. Um, yeah. 
Like it is like it like I was alone in the theater when it happened. I was just like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and I didn't tell Sid for like yeah. almost a year. And then we watched it together and had that moment of like, okay, you see it. You yeah, see it like, happening. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay then. And uh, Genesis is just fun. A lot of people hate it, but it's like, eh, it's dumb. Yeah, like, Amelia Clark seems like she's a nice girl, a nice woman, but like, her acting as Sarah leaves a little yeah. bit to be desired. She's, yeah. She's not quite, it is hard. Yeah, she's not quite as hardened as Lena Headey was in um, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Even Lena Headey wasn't Linda Hamilton, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, who is amongst <laughs> all of us Linda Hamilton? Uh, <laughs> I, I will say for Dark Fate, Linda Hamilton definitely yeah. acts her ass off. So, like, I would recommend it alone just for that. Even though it's, like, my se- I would say my second favorite Terminator movie behind this one. Yeah. So then... My feeling, just like off the four I've seen, is I definitely go in like what, like Salvation, Rise of the Machines, the first one, this one. Okay. I'm trying to think, yeah. Mm. But like, uh, I don't know, like if there's more coming. But like, I'd like to like catch up. But I know those last two are like kind of flailing a little bit of the franchise. <laughs> Dark Fate was really good, but I think it suffered from everybody was so exhausted and like yeah. burned out by like the last like two movies that no three movies that came before it that people just didn't go see it in theaters yeah dark fate really did surprise me um actually of how much i did like it i really did went into it with a little bit of skepticism of like okay it's probably gonna be like genesis or t3 which i put in the middle down at the bottom i put salvation i i hate that movie that that movie causes me pain watching it um no, we were so we were both so mad watching that one. You don't like seeing Christian Bale like hacking robots with it like Sony Vio? Because that's my favorite. <laughs> oh. oh, no, I, I felt that movie. That movie would have been better if it was just Kyle Reese and Sam Worthington's character just wandering through the wasteland. And, and that reveal, it just had so much noise going on, like really looking at it. Yeah, the. The best thing I will ever say about Salvation is that Anton Yelkin is a fantastic Kyle Reese, and it sucks that he is in the <laughs> yeah. shittiest Terminator movie doing yeah. it. So I do feel like the franchise did burn out. Like Genesis is, like I said, I it's a goofy movie, and in a way, and like it's not good, but I still enjoy a lot of of it or parts of it. I'd say I enjoyed a little bit more than T three, which I just find is very. Very dour. Yeah, like, T3 is, like, takes kind of, like, the hopeful edge of, like... The first um, two movies, yeah. Of the first two movies of, like, No Fate But What You Make, and then T3 is just like, psych! Like, Judgment Day is always gonna happen! for you, John! Whereas, like, Genesis came kind of back into hope. And Dark Faith kind of more is, like, in the darkest hour, there is still hope. Yeah, um, I think Dark Fate. The, the thing about Dark Fate, it's a little bit of a T two rehash, oh, yeah. but like, I think it does enough. Uh, it does enough interesting things that, especially, I think it takes like bits and pieces from like the previous like three like bad sequels. I mean, I say bad for I. I Terminator Genesis is so yeah. bad it ends up kind of wrapping back around to good in some places. 
it takes from the last three sequels and kind of takes like the bits and pieces that work from that and kind of puts it in there too. Um, that's the best way I can kind of describe it without really giving too much okay. of the game away. Um, but I, yeah, I think, yeah, Dark Fate, I feel like if it came out separately and was like had enough space away from Genesis, it yeah. might have done better. But yeah, I feel like they just burned so much of the public on these really bad Terminator movies that like not people just were like just assumed that this one was going to be bad, too. And it actually turned out pretty yeah. good. Yeah. It also just feels like James Cameron's apology letter to women and so Yeah, because Cameron did come back on to he didn't direct, but he did write it. So he came back for the story. Yeah, I think he was a he, Yeah, he did a lot involved with the story. So I think that was kind of the idea behind it. Really important though. It, it is important to say that um I was like looking, like, oh, what did James Cameron like do after Titanic but before Avatar? And the answer is that man didn't really respond to 9-11 like a lot of directors like of his age got to. And I was like, oh, wow, he kept it locked. He didn't really like do much, just kind of kept to himself. A lot of documentaries. Yeah, he, he just kept going to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, I am just going to explore the bottom of the ocean because I'm just obsessed with the bottom of the ocean. Hence the abyss. Yeah, you got a lot of um, his peers definitely take a lot of swerves that time where he's just like, I'm just going to go to the ocean. You know, yeah, yeah. Like I would say that, like, I mean, he wasn't involved in T three, so I don't put this on him. I'll say that, like, Terminator, the Terminator franchise responded to nine eleven. James yeah. Cameron certainly <laughs> didn't. Yeah, that, that was the one thing I've noticed. Like when we rewatched all the Terminator films, uh, before and even with Dark Fake, that's like everything is flavored by pre and post nine eleven, but also like. Reaganism, post Reaganism, uh, and uh, Bush era, and then like oh, I think the reason why Genesis kind of caused that cheese to it and back to hope is it was made during you know the Obama administration, and then Dark Fate was yeah. change more along yeah Trump. Genesis in yeah yeah like there is a very I will say one thing I will kind of give away about Dark Fate is that it has a very um, yeah, fuck mind. ice yeah. vibe to it. Like, yeah, you get that from the trailers. There's a lot involving immigration and border mm. patrol and all of that that kind of ends up playing into the film. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about Terminator Two, though. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's. Uh, let's talk about Terminator Two. I will say, mentioning because you mentioned the extended cut, it is uh, Cameron's kind of nice director's cut. He kind of considers that a director's cut, and. Not the extended, extended one, but I noticed it's like there were a few scenes I would say like, oh, yeah, that I understand why it made it the cutting room floor. But a few scenes I was just like, no, that was actually kind of important for storytelling. <laughs> uh, yeah. They really expanded, I think, Dyson's characterization a lot in the the mo- in the director's cut, which I already extended cut, which I did appreciate. And a lot more. They really kind of explained more of like the Terminator and how he works, but not only that, that scene in the garage, which is completely different than theatrical, it's just like, I learn things, that's it, and they go and have merry adventures of the Terminator learning things, but to have it be that we're gonna hack into the Terminator's brain, quote-unquote, you know, take take him apart, take his chip out, and then to have that scene with Sarah and John, it was like, 
I appreciated a lot about that scene a lot more now because it's just like you have Sarah mm-hmm. who's this machine at one point was programmed to fucking kill her. It killed right. like someone she loved. Actually, multiple people she loved, but John's dad mainly. Yeah. You know, and she, she watched yeah. it just kill people in her life, try to kill her, source of a lot of trauma and pain in her life. And whereas John interactions is like you're like a dad you're my friend and it's like even down to how they like talk about the terminator because like sarah's like don't call him him call no don't call it a him he's an it you know basically and john goes like okay well we need it and and you know and and then backs away and starts calling it you know terminator him again so it's like he humanizes the terminator where sarah's like that's a fucking killing machine this movie's like in the public conscious as like a action movie that's like four scenes, I feel like, but there's so much more about like yeah. relating back to the first movie. There's so much connecting, like it being narrated like in like the opening and the closing by like Sarah Connor. There's a lot of like good like narrative and like emotional character beats here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um for sure. I noticed because kind of the big arc with Sarah is like she's no longer, you know, the waitress you find in Terminator. And she's trying so hard to be a badass. One of the big things I noticed when she was getting her stitches, the thing with, like, the Terminator was he wasn't really flinching when they are just ripping bullets out of him. You know, he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever, he ripped bullets out of me, I'm a machine. Sarah, however, she was, like, shaking. They actually, like, Linda was making her teeth chatter. Like, she was biting through the pain. And so here she is, she's trying to, like, disconnect her emotions and everything and just kind of leads up to her trying to kill Dyson and she can't pull the trigger because she's and she starts breaking down and fucking crying and I'm like oh it's beautiful yeah and I think that vulnerability is such an important part of like Sarah Connor because like you want to talk about like a lot of people kind of just like paint Sarah Connor as like oh she's this like indeterminate badass that like you know that people kind of expect that like she's like kind of that mold but it's like yeah she does become a badass but like she is somebody who is very vulnerable and has gone through a lot of fucking trauma um like i will say that plays a lot into like how linda portrays her back in dark fate i won't won't (laughs) harp on that too long but i think that definitely comes that vulnerability and like trauma comes back and like even like I, I do like the fact that Genesis, they do briefly say in the film that, like, kind of allude that Sarah was not really yeah. a great mother. Um, but, again, you can see why. Because, like, you know, she was basically, a, you know, she was, like, 19 when this all happened to her. And she had to, like, do a total 180 on what yeah. her life was. And so, yeah. I do love all the, like, um the weird, like, um like, it would fit in a story about like an exiled prince the way she's like trying to teach him like combat skills and like tactical stuff and like date different guys and like go different places like teach him like how to be a leader yeah for like john i love that detail like that's such a good that's awesome yeah yeah just like that she hasn't really had time for like actual romance in her life so she literally is just using it as a leverage (laughs) to like will you teach my kid (laughs) (laughs) yeah Prepare John for the robot apocalypse. One of my favorite things is also, okay, I guess two two things going into Sarah's characterization with that. 
Uh, well, one with John is John just thought it was fucking normal <laughs> until he like her, her mom, his mom got like interned, basically, and he was just like, yeah. "Oh, well, I guess none of that actually fucking happened." And here's you know, and he just gets blown away when he sees he's targeted for termination, basically. Um, but right. the other thing I noticed is like this comes with I think the extended like a cut because they cut the scene where she dreams about Kyle Reese. It just sounds like she still loves Kyle. Yeah, you know she like met him for three days. I mean, I guess some people mm, leave that impression mm, on you. Yeah. And I guess if you know your baby daddy is sent back in time <laughs> by yeah. your son. Sure that he is born. Of course, he could go crazy about it. <laughs> somebody, somebody pointed out very recently about how, like, if you really think about it, because Kyle, when he talks about the picture that John gave him, uh, he talks about, you know, he always wondered what Sarah was thinking at that time. Does she think he's thinking of Sarah? And he's like, well, what she's thinking about? And then it turns out it was him. Yeah, she's just talking about, you know, Kyle Reese there. And like a big thing with these first two movies i think is that people forget like the emotional core of them like oh i love that scene where like sarah connor screaming and like shooting the shotgun but they're like the reason it matters is because there's all these scenes of her like being continually like changed by trauma and like being like so open to her emotions despite all that's happened like i love that she can't kill dyson like i love that it's like okay she could but she can't because she's not like just a badass or just like a killer or just whatever she's like a she's played very complex and like i like love too how the movie opens with like her dealing with not even just like implied of the horrors of being um in like an institution like she is but like it's like shown at least like and sees her being held down or like licked it's terrible yeah like Oh, that guy. I love that Cameron fought to at least have the licking scene kept in because he says, like, look, there has to be a reason why she does not like it here. And she beats him up later because they cut out a lot of the abuse scenes. Mm. Um, Yeah. And he at least fought for that one, which. um, Yeah, it's just kind of one of those. I I just love Sarah. And um, I was thinking about something you mentioned, Ashley, about. John in this and how John's very empathetic in this entire thing. Like he's kind of the what it's so funny to watch. Like he's supposed to be 10 because it's supposed to be taking place in 95. He's the coolest 13 year old, 10 year old I've ever met. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, it's supposed to be taking place in 95, by the way, uh, uh, because John was born in 85 because. That's a weird thing to think about because this was filmed in 91. So he's supposed to be like 10 or 11. And um, so essentially you're having this like preteen to young teen being the mediator. He's he's having to be the having to like answer philosophical questions to a robot who's just like, well, why can't I kill people? And John can't answer that. And then he's also trying to like bring that humanity back to his mom. Yeah. Like, that scene where after they break her out and, like, he's so happy, like, John's so happy to see her because he hasn't seen her in probably, like, about six months. Yeah, and he sees, yeah. And, yeah, and she's just like, that was stupid of you to do that, like, you would would have compromised the mission, and, you know, instead of, like, being happy the fact that, like, 
here's her son. She's been wanting to see him for six months. And, and I love the like the scene where she sees the Terminator, like the like T eight hundred, and it, like just the way she stops and it slows down and the sound leaves, and then oh, she yeah. sees her son. Just like that's like so much of oh, like this is like real to her. There's definitely part of her that like seems like she's maybe wondering how much of it was real or if it's like done or if it's gonna come back. But just like that moment, just like there's like a level of just like reality <laughs> to it too. Yeah. Right. It's oh, there's so much good stuff in this movie. Yeah, and um, so one thing I do want to talk about though is that um, personally, I try not to be uh as much as I might enjoy practical effects and like I have done like a Toku podcast for like several years, like you all. Um, I try not to be like a practical effects weirdo. <laughs> That's like yeah. uh, practical effects right. much better because the reality is a lot of like CG and like um like computer effects are done by exploited people in like oh, yeah. very compressed time frames and like just like kind of done without like care at like an executive level where it's like oh we can just fix something in post kind of thing yeah versus everything about this movie is so intentional there's a scene where like um the t1000 like gets like um smashed into a wall and immediately like its front becomes its back and it's like oh, that was I still oh, pop for yes. that, basically. It's just like, you know, and... It's so good. The whole movie is, like, revealing cool ideas they had about liquid metal. And because, like, liquid metal, it's okay. If it looks kind of, like, not texture or whatever, it just looks like it's, like, metal. Yeah. I honestly think that's why that particular CG effect still holds mm -hmm. up so well. It's because they weren't trying to make it look, like, super yeah. realistic. If that makes sense. Because, like... There's a lot of times where, like, you'll watch something in, like, from, like, you know, the mid-2000s where it looked good in the mid-2000s, but then you watch it, like, you know, 2022, and you're just like, oh, that, that yeah. age, like, ass. But, like, I think the fact that they were, you know, because they are trying to go for something that looks realistic, quote, quote, and, like, but the technology improves, like, every year that, you know, something that looked realistic in 2005 is not looking so good now. But, like, I think the fact that they were trying to go for this, like, otherworldly look to, like, when the Terminator turns, li like, when the T-1000 turns liquid metal, like, it just, it just holds and so well. I think well. a lot of that had to do with, like, the limitations also at the time period. Yes. Uh, and it's like, yeah. this was new technology. Cameron fiddled it with it prior with uh, the Abyss, where you have the, um like arm tentacles and stuff like the water tentacles and i think like forming faces was a thing in the abyss so you know he was already fooling with it and he's just like let me really implement this in the movie and one of my opinions about cgi is it needs it needs to be applied the way practical effects need to be applied yeah. which is does it enhance the movie you know and right where can it be to enhance the movie cuz it's like a lot of a lot of people who do that sort of visual effects like they're really good at what they do and they can do amazing shit it's just they get yeah 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 like i think so even somebody pointed this out about um uh, mad max fury road is that yeah fury road does have some cg effects but it's used in such a sparing manner especially in balance with the practical that you don't really notice it yeah it's 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 very you know it's a balance of what you want yeah and 
I feel like because the Terminator, Terminator 2 really kind of came out also before, I feel like the mid-2000s into the 20-teens and definitely post-Marvel, uh, movies are more and more are looking into being like an entertainment we can fart out and make money on. Very rarely, and there's nothing wrong with making art for entertainment, but very rarely a studio is looking to in, like invest in art. They're looking into investing to make more money. Especially when, like, you have, like, just, like, every scene here is, like, a, like, limitation and, like, an idea versus a lot of times, like, oh, we know that this is a workforce, this is a workforce that we could exploit in certain ways, yeah. uh, like, certain deadlines and costs, so mm-hmm. let's just use it without care. And, like, there's so many artists that, like, throughout time have been like, oh, I guess my work is being used without care. I'll do my best with my overworked schedule and my, like, great skills, sure, but... Like, there's only so much that, like, they can do when their thing is, oh, we forgot to do this, or, oh, we don't want to reshoot this scene. That's not really, like, good. <laughs> so that's... Yeah, like, it, it's definitely a lot, become a lot of that, where, like, I mean, because I was reading, because I read Disney War last year for our podcast, um, just basically because we were in the Disney era of Power Rangers, and I kind of wanted a better understanding of what the climate was like at Disney in that period where they did own the series. And like, but that book covers from kind of the start, start of Michael Eisner's reign as um, CEO and president to the end. And it it also kind of remarks on the beginning of using computer graphics or computer technology to animate. And like, it definitely, you see like a lot of the animators at Disney definitely saw it as a tool for future use. Um, and especially like with the Pixar relationship was like using, you know, using this as technology to improve (laughs) the animation going forward, but not necessarily overtaking it. Um, but then like, especially when you get to, you know, the mid two thousands, when people have like started using like more, you know, computer graphic technology in movies or have been using completely CG animated, films that like the the impression was oh well we can like this is cheaper to make and it's the future so we can just overload our films with this instead of just use again using it like cameron used here as like a tool or wanting or i guess even if you go as far as avatar for cameron wanting to use it in such a way that like it that it's actually you know part of the filmmaking process and not just Oh, we're just going to well, we're just going to use all of this to sub in all of our effects or fix something in post or well, we don't want to reshoot this, so we're just going to let the, you know, weird like computer camera take care of it. And I think too that um you could just like see the care in Avatar doers like, oh, like it might be like a ton of CG and maybe there was like some labor concerns, but definitely at the top level there were people who cared about how things looked and connected and like made a logical sense and there was like interesting limitations and like that's like why i'm like a big fan of like toku stuff is that like a lot of time you can see like limitations in how they film and how they inform what they're doing um cameron i don't know if anyone knows this about cameron but maybe i should inform the audience because i think everyone here probably knows possibly is uh cameron came from uh he was a protege of roger corman and for those who don't know who Roger Corman is, he was the B-film movie guy. Uh, basically uh, making B-monster movies in the 50s and 60s and so on. Like, 
if he just very low budget, you know, would tape things together to make a monster. There's a lot of mystery science theater movies that like that ended up being Roger Corman. <laughs> so right. he kind of came from that sort of thing where like you learned everything of how to make a movie and you learned how to work with your limitations, which probably why a lot of the Terminator has some of that in there. I know like for the body bag with Reese, they use like someone's suit. Bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that's really interesting. Yeah. Um. I know they would like shoot at sometimes without a permit in certain places. Like did, that, that happened yeah, in the first because the, 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 right? the second one it was after you know aliens and the abyss and him writing like first Rambo first blood. So they they trusted him a little yeah. bit more, right? So that's so funny to me because um when I was in college actually I um watched this like instructional like. I forgot what it was, but like it was like about like the tenets of filmmaking for like this class. And it was um, they had a bunch of like real directors in it, like Tarantino is it like Cameron is it in it. And there was this um scene where Cameron talked for like 15 minutes about how like he like didn't understand frame rate and Terminator 2 was too long. So he asked them to take out one in every four, one in every four frames and show him how it was at the same time. And then they like showed the footage and it looked really janky and terrible and then like he talked about like how the eye process like information like his respect for editors and for like frame rate and camera technology yeah and that's totally like that dude right there <laughs> yeah like he's definitely someone who like definitely respects the creative process and like i can make fun of avatar all day but like i think like that was definitely him wanting to like better understand what oh, you could yeah. do with like CG yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, he's, he's just always fascinated with how to make film and sci-fi, particularly he, because I know he was like a, a matte painter and stuff like that for a while, and he actually does some really neat like sci-fi paintings. And like if you look up the concept art for the Terminator, it's some neat like shit that you would see on like maybe a pulp novel or something. So he's okay. he's definitely you know got that wide imagination. I know I joke like. Avatar was something he created when he was 12 because I think I think he did. I could be wrong. There's some claims about who invented some of the artwork and that kind of stuff. But it's also like if it's that old, there might be some cross pollination, not like not intentionally. So it's hard to know. Yeah, it's hard. to. But obviously he was thinking about this place, you know, you know, and 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 what is the place called? And Avatar forgot. Yeah, it was. I Navi. think, you know, he had the concept of, uh, uh, you know, of Navi and all that and nature and how it works over there and this whole story. I can see that. And then of course stuff, like you said, kind of cost pollinated over time. But uh, yeah, Cameron, he's, he has his issues, but he's still kind of one of my like favorite directors. Mm. He was actually one of my, I think he was the director that basically got me into like film more. Cause as a kid, I always found film and the making of it very fascinating but Cameron was the one that, like, re like his movies really got me into this more. Like, I don't think I would be into David Lynch movies if I wasn't into mm. Cameron. Yeah. Sorry, I mixed it up. The name of the planet in Avatar Pandora, is Pandora. Yeah. yeah, and then the Navi are the 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 giant <laughs> blue rabbits. They're rabbits? <laughs> it's, it's a joke from uh, oh, an Adult Swim. Like, no, it was a robot chicken sketch. Where the uh, with the Patrick Stump singing a song called "Blue Rabbits Fucking," that was specifically about the weird at way that they would interact with everything <laughs> on the planet. 
Uh, okay. Uh, I have one important character though uh, that I think like does get like glossed over in most like conversations of this movie, and I think um that is Miles Dyson. And holy crap, what a great just what a great job <laughs> as a side character in a movie. Top of oh, all time. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm like kind of sad that like as goofy as Genesis was, um, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get a sequel to it because it seemed like that they were intending to do more with oh, the Dyson family yeah. in Genesis. Because you briefly see like an older Miles Dyson and his son, basically, because the, they're introducing the new, I forget what they called it in Genesis. Well, it was Genesis, but like basically Genesis was what would become Skynet. Oh, I want that bad 90s like spin-off comic about like Miles Dyson's son, like how he met a Terminator. That's what I want to read now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, but yeah, Miles, yeah, you're right. Miles Dyson as a character in the franchise gets overlooked so much. And like he's kind of important in Terminator 2 for like the sake of the, you know, kind of like the that uh, what is it that we kind of said, Sid, about like the moral, the, you know, he has this like ideal of what the technology he's kind of like those for. ideal tech bros who are yeah. just like oh my god we discovered this new technology and it's gonna make everything great and then they just forget kind of how the you know a lot of the real world is kind of shitty yeah you know idealist you know, the so idealistic like, tech bro basically yeah like you know something that I mean, you could even say that goes b- far back is like you know Anything that can be used for a war application, there's definitely somebody who's working on something that got pulled into the uh, uh, to use for war, and they're just like, "Oh no, what yeah. the fuck!" I feel like drones may have been yeah. like that sort of thing, because it's like, "Oh, we could like get supplies to people who need it," or you know, uh, you know, and, and, and like film stuff. There's so many cool applications to this, and it's like, "Yeah, let's deliver bombs with it." Wait, what? Yeah, that's basically what the wind rises is about. <laughs> he's just so perfect because like he's like this person who's like this at the time there weren't a lot of like black senior like leads at like major like tech firms and like he's living well. Like his son has cool toys and like new nineties like clothes, like great house with like all the weird nineties like windows and stuff. So like he's doing well. It's like a, a nice house on the hill. You know. He's got a pool. And he can stop in the middle of the day to, like, take his kids to a water park. And, and, and especially he has some work at home aspects, too, like, because he's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, Dyson's such an interesting character. And I've always, I've always been fascinated with Dyson. And I, lo- that's why I think I like the extended cut with Dyson more is he does get more of a character. Because, like, when you, the original cut of the movie, you meet him where you originally meet him at the at Cyberdyne and everything and you know he's joking around with the one dude but then after that the the next time you see him is when Sarah goes to shoot up the place you don't have that intermediate scene where he's like talking to his you know where his wife interrupts him and he just goes on a spiel about how great this thing is you know and how it's going to change the world and how better the world's going to be with him or his kids you know and or my, my favorite thing is really kind of the uh, the Jetsons thing of we're going to automize things that can be automized and then like we can have less, you know, intensive labor in the world. And um, and then like t- 
that I felt like was such a good connective tissue because you see him as a family man. You see him as this idealist who wants all the good things. So when Sarah and the Terminator like inform him, your th- your thing that you think is gonna change the world, well, it is all right, but for the worst. And you see right. him because he's still that idealist, even though he's still working through that. He's like, yeah, we gotta trash this this thing. Fuck it. And, and uh, yeah. it really kind of the 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 other scene that got cut from them was him smashing the uh, the chip, the model of the chip, and it was kind of like that sort of scene of like, I you know we were going to change the world with this smash and he just lets it go. Yeah. Cause I think that like, I can see why that gets cut. If the one scene of him yeah. at home gets cut, because like, it doesn't make sense to have him showing him like having this moment where he has to basically smash like his baby of like this thing that he's been working on for years and years and years. And like, yeah, I think, yeah, it is, it is, kind of unfortunate because all i've really seen because i'm like i think i saw the original cut with my dad and then i've seen the two extended cuts with you and like the the dyson scenes definitely add something to kind of give him a little bit more background besides hey so here's this like one character that just shows up for one scene and then he shows up again like halfway through the movie where sarah tries to kill him Whereas, like, the yeah. addition of those things going on into it, you know, it, it really it really builds who this character is and why he got into robotics and why he was building Skynet. He wasn't thinking he was going to destroy the world with it. Uh, and then it also, I think, really strengthens kind of the the sadness of him dying, which is fuck the police. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just one of those things like he didn't it's like knowing what I know now, I'm like, wow, why'd you shoot at him? Yeah, and that's like even weirder if you think on Terminator three, where like it becomes like the whole thing about like, oh well, John and Sarah went back on the run because she was charged for Dyson's murder, and it's like the police yeah. are the ones who shot him. <laughs> shot him the fuck up. <laughs> no, and just he's just I just like keep saying there has never been a like side role like in a movie that has been acted or written or just like like scripted that well. He feels like such an important part of the movie despite his like 15 minutes of, of like screen time in like a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he is definitely like it like the entire scene back at Cyberdyne does not work unless you have like somebody like Dyson who's there to kind of humanize why skynet is being made and it's not necessarily like again it's if you you know the the the, tale as old as time of like somebody who an idealist who gets involved in technology all of a sudden their technology is used for bad stuff so like i think it helps to kind of give him like not just make cyberdyne solely out to be like this evil faceless corporation it's like in in the best of terms, they're doing something that they perceive as neutral or good, which like it is an ongoing issue about like we see stuff like this in in um in modern times where people are like, oh well, we've made this algorithm to help like weed out like bad candidates for jobs, or mm-hmm. you know we're trying to teach this algorithm like such and such, but, like, the algorithms are not neutral because they are built inherently with biases by the people who are yeah. creating them. And 
And even then they, they also learn through the biases of the people who are using them. Yes. So like whenever you read about like, oh, this um this AI, you know, this chatbot AI has learned to be racist. Well, yeah. 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 One small role in this thing movie though that um is um Dr. Silberman is in all three of the first three Terminator movies, and I really love his character. <laughs> He's great. I love to hate him. He's a great character, but boy, does he rep. I said this to Ashley when we were watching this. It's like, if Bashir from DS9 represents what I wish my experience with doctors would be like, like him as a doctor, Dr. Silverman is just all my medical trauma compacted into one fucking character. Oh my like, God. Yeah. This is a slime ball. <laughs> And I, I always forget that Dr. Silverman is in yeah. the first three movies. Like the the one really good scene in Terminator 3 has to be when like the Terminator takes Sarah Connor's like coffin and shoots up the police of him there. And he's like, oh no, not this guy again. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like talking to uh oh, what's her name? Catherine yeah. Booster or, or Brewster, and uh he's talking to Catherine, he's like, you know, I've seen things too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Poor Catherine. <laughs> Someone once pointed out with uh, the first Terminator moving kind of what echoed into the second one uh, is how he I think it was Cameron, weirdly enough, but uh, it was how Silverman actually did manage to make a c career out of Kyle Reese. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, okay, it, that is... Now that he pointed out that way, that yeah, is pretty ironic. He, he was like, I could make a career out of this guy, and he ends up making a career out of Sarah. So, hey, close, close enough, enough, buddy. Close um, enough. But yeah, he's he's pretty he's pretty slimy. One of the things I wanted to talk about was there's a couple things I wanted to talk about the Terminators, but the one I really want to talk about was like definitely Arnold's physical acting because I watched the first one too before watching this because I'm. Weird. I need to watch both of them. Um, his physical acting is just so impressive. Like, he... I know one of the things he learned for the role of the Terminator, he basically learned how to shoot guns without flinching or having the kickback. Because he's like, a machine wouldn't have that. And doesn't he also not blink? He pretty much does not movie? blink. He's just... And he'll just do something sometimes to where he'll just kind of, if something's malfunctioning, he'll jerk. You know, he'll, he'll kind of jerk. There's kind of, sometimes he'll just kind of, in the first movie especially, like, he'll do a lot of things that are just, like, imposing. Like, he really is a machine out to kill this person. And then you see him in the second one where a lot of the physical acting is, it's still being a robot, but it's also a robot that's learning about people. Yeah. like. The the smile scene is my fa one of my favorites oh, yeah. in the movie, just because he does that like <laughs> uncomfortable like you can tell he's sincerely trying. <laughs> yeah, like you know he's just moving every muscle to create a smile. <laughs> just like yeah, we'll we'll go back to that. Uh, <laughs> and then he like um, the the way he just immediately drops yeah, it and goes stone faced yeah, again is like it's so good. I like that, you know, after he kind of learns that, you see him smile a bit more, too. Yeah, a little less uh, Yeah, a little awkward, less awkward, though. but... <laughs> oh, he's, he's 
just physically great. Uh, so is uh, Robert Patrick. Yeah, that was my next one. Robert Patrick. How does this man not have a, a much more story career? Holy crap. He was collecting paychecks while up in the X-Files, but yeah. It's like I saw him in something else not too long ago. Was it Peacemaker? Ago, at least... Yes! Yes, yeah, he was Peacemaker's based. dad. And he's so he's so fucking good at being a just an asshole in that one. Like, however, like much of an asshole Chris is, his dad is way worse. He's always hustling though. He's always in stuff, but like he should have been like a leading man yeah. or at least in more stuff, I feel like. But um they've like talked all movie about how like the T eight hundred is like learning things and like learning like how to be more human and like starts to develop like emotions. There's a scene where he like wags his finger at Sarah Connor that like implies that he's learned how to be a cop and to like have these like weird pettinesses too. Oh so let me oh, this is kind yeah. of an interesting thing I found about the T one thousand versus the T eight hundred when they're sent back. One of the things I've noticed with the entirety like building up to is the T one thousand mocks human behavior way better than the T eight hundred ever did. Like when he's talking to people, he'll actually emote. You know, he'll he'll it's basic emotion. What is it? I, I think I said to Kurt, it's, it's basically like watching someone mask and trying to like do a human emotion, even though it's kind of like, uh, so because I've been there. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, you're seeing him kind of like when he's questioning his parents, like, oh, can I see him? And he has this concerned look and like, oh, I wouldn't worry about him and smiling. Thank you for your cooperation. And then when he interviews the other kids he has a completely, you know, different demeanor. You know, he's nice and everything. Yeah. Or, you know, just, and it's kind of like acting it. But as soon as he finds John, zeroes in, becomes that machine. And it's, it's was kind of one of the more wild things. And I think it does connect to the cop thing, too, because, you know, Cameron says, yeah. you know, I, you know, this is what I think of cops. And not that far off, honestly. <laughs> and so cops do have kind of this nice demeanor and then they drop it. So it's just kind of interesting where, you know, when he's doing these scenes where he is doing determination, the term like being the Terminator and targeting John, like he knows he's close to it and everything. He fakes shit. Like even when he's emulating other people, like, you know, John talked about, well, you know, my stepmom's never been this nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. That that whole scene with the stepmom. Mm. That was where like, Jeanette Goldstein's acting, but yeah, but I think it, it, to to speak about like just the character of the TE one thousand in that regard is that that yeah, is so unsettling. Just, yeah, but like, Go on, sorry. Yeah, no, and then like the part that is like that is also unsettling to me. I mean, besides that particular scene that does, then this one does involve Robert Patrick of um that the part in the like the when they're in like the last fine you know we're in the final act of the film and they're in the um they're in that warehouse and he starts and, and when he's like he's clearly starting to fail but he's still like coming at sarah and like he's injuring her and she's just like call john call john and like to set up a trap and it's like oh yeah, it's so creepy no, he's because like he's figured out like the easiest way to manipulate people yeah, to get what he wants. It's just one of those things like, you know, that that one say, that's a nice bike when he stole the bike from the one police officer. You know, he Oh yeah. He kind of has these things where if he's 
you know, needs to act human, he will act human. But it's really creepy. And then when he doesn't, he just drops it. And it's like motion drops from his face. You know, the physicality is there. And um, yeah, he almost, it's like that one bit with Sarah. Like, yeah, he's kind of still doing that stuff. And it it is funny because it's like the malfunctioning was actually completely cut from the original. Oh, was it? Yeah, it just, um, they cut out all the malfunctioning bits with the exception of this one scene where you see a ripple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so every, so him malfunctioning was completely cut, so you don't even get, like, John looking down and seeing, like, the feet fused to the ground, and that's how he knew, which was the right Sarah. You know, it was more of, like, intuition! So something that I didn't know until this watch was that they got Linda Hamilton's sister Leslie for that scene? Oh, yeah, and also, this is on the extended cut where they're in the garage. She's also in the scene um, on the other side of the mirror. Oh. They did, yeah, this this was a movie they did twin magic in, because the uh, security officer, the other bit of twin magic was the security officer was uh, played by a set of twins. Okay. And so, yeah, because the dual screening, it still doesn't look very good. So Cameron's just like, let's just hire two twins. <laughs> Which, yeah. honestly, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. That's that's Tokusatsu to be hired twins. <laughs> and like, oh, I, I think it's just like, I can just imagine. Was he dating? Was Cameron dating Linda Hamilton around the time of Terminator 2? Or was that after? I think they started dating during. Okay. I could just imagine him just being like, wait, you have a twin? I could totally use this for film purposes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Is that that old Roger Corman brain uh-huh. just kicking in? Yes, we're gonna do twin magic stuff. <laughs> so one other fun thing about this movie that I think like people forget about the first two Terminator movies is that they're not like they're doing the conceit of the future like robot war is just there to set things up, but like. Later on, they're like about it. It's like less interesting, but this is a horror movie. It like has like all these great scenes of like the like stepmother scene, for example, where like you see her hand and that squelch, and then like it's like revealed like the raptors can open doors in Jurassic Park, like that the T1000 can make weapons and all this stuff. And just like mm. there's so much fun DNA, like there's like part action, part horror, there's like a lot of emotion to it. Like these are like a lot more complex of movies than I think like get like remembered. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the horror element definitely carries over from the first movie because the first movie is a straight-up slasher film. It's it's paced like a hybrid of a slasher movie and an action movie. He gets up like Michael Myers. Uh, Yeah. It was one of the things I just... Yeah, it's one of the things I very much remember when I watched it again. I was just like, the pacing, it's not bad fast, but it's definitely very fast-paced. And how it's going, and eventually to that kind of rev up at the shootout at Tech Noir, which they they even I think they created that name just because of like dark technology and all that. Uh, so yeah, you're seeing this kind of very much horror movie uh, thing going on, and Cameron again. This is like right after working with Corman. I think he directed a good chunk of Piranha Two, okay. also before this movie. You're seeing that DNA, and you see it a little, like, you definitely also see it in Aliens. But yeah, Terminator 2, while it's a little bit more 
I'd say less like a like the slasher movie aspect. It's still there, and there's just still bits like when the T one thousand like basically dies when he's melting. Holy shit, that seems horrific. Yeah, it is because like especially because the way he's like flailing, and you see all of the forms it's, that it's he's kind of like watching like the shape shifting elder god finally dying, and it's got that. Yeah, really bonkers like soundtrack, like this overly sped up, discorded soundtrack over it, and then it finally like, you know, when it finally like the last face is just like I guess the default face, and all of a sudden like the blank face comes out out of it, like out of the mouth, and it's just so fucking gross. And of course, like the most iconic scene in the whole movie has to be like the like thumbs up going into. To the molten yes. metal. Oh yeah, the the movie where like that's I just think of all the jokes I've seen over the years about like guys just being like the only time it's acceptable to cry in front of your children is the Terminator two the ending of Terminator two. It's like you can just cry whenever, but also yeah, everybody cries yeah, at the end of Terminator two. Know, he, he he knows how to be human. I think that even goes into I cannot self terminate. It's like I think he realizes like man, I shouldn't even kill myself. But I know I need to die. Oh, it's so yeah, it's, it's so like heartbreaking. John crying, and then you're also seeing like for the first time, like him actually interacting with a human that isn't like curiosity. He's like wiping John's tears and hugging him. You know, it's just like the the whole line of I know I know now why you cry. It's like oh, and like that's why like people like Jackie Chan, like like Schwarzenegger, are the greats. Of like the like genre too, just like in like action movies, because they get like remembered as these like one note like surface level things, but they do so much interesting like body acting, like good little like character moments. Like maybe like you don't have like a you don't cast Schwarzenegger as like Mercutio or something, but like you like he works perfectly here and just like does such like a good performance too. That is at his insistence with Cameron with the original casting. Uh for those who don't know, uh, Schwarzenegger was originally casted for Kyle Reese, and Schwarzenegger was like, "No, this would be better for my career. I'm I'm big and imposing." And it's just right. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, he was right." Uh, one of the things that weirdly came up because of the physicality of the acting was that now Ashley and I just really want to see another Terminator movie, but cast Doug Jones as the Terminator. Oh. Oh yeah. So, like, one of my, so, one of the wrestlers that I know, Adam Slade, he had jokingly, jokingly proposed that, like, because somebody after Prey came out was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do all these, like, anthology movies where, like, you just drop, like, this monster or this alien back in, like, older times. And, like, he was like, Old West Terminator. And I'm like... Oh yeah, they just send it. They just keep sending Terminator as far back as they can to kill Sarah Connor's like family. <laughs> I was thinking this too, and like, but yeah, just to have like Doug Jones just be like just in a very unassuming Terminator. You could do, do it if they were gonna like rehash in like maybe like a boring way, but like a like T one thousand. He's like a perfect person to make it interesting, or like if they had like a more human one or something. I'm not sure, like. I will say Gabriel Luna was really good kind of in that T-1000 role in Dark Fate. Again, I will stop bringing it up. But um, he was actually really good in that part. And I think Doug Jones would yeah. also be very good at kind of being that 
T-1000 kind of rehash. They did try to kind of do that in, um, yeah, with Shirley Manson, which I I thought she was actually pretty good, but I think they went a very different route with it. Who is, um, or no, um, it was Matt Smith that they burned in, like, a scene in, like, Genesis or Dark Fate, right? It was oh, Genesis. Yeah, they, I, it, he was definitely he was definitely set up to be kind of sequel yeah. bait. Um, Genesis is so weird because they wanted to go. They want this route of like nano machines. That's not distinct, really, to like the liquid metal in like an mm. interesting way. I feel like yeah, it didn't. It, it's kind of it was like again. This kind of just adds to the goofiness of the movie. Um, the good part about that movie though was um oh what did they call the Terminator pops. Pops, I love Pops. Pops okay. is this great <laughs> extension of kind of the characterization of the Terminator in Terminator Two. So, like, because basically the whole—it's not giving away too much about Genesis here if you haven't seen it, but it's also yeah. it's Genesis. Like, there's nothing in that movie that happens that's as shocking as Dark Fate. But like, so in Genesis, it's set up that the reason why you see the the strong, you know. Oh, I've been trained since I was like a kid. Sarah Connor is that they send back a ter- like um, Skynet sends back a Terminator back to when Sarah is a child to try and kill her then. And it kills her dad. But then somebody else that we never find out who, because they set that up for sequel hook, um, sends back a T-800 to save her. And so and then that T-800 ends up being kind of her father figure and, like, raises her and teaches her how to be a fighter and all of that. And (laughs) it's so... And Arnold just kind of plays him as a Terminator, but also a dad. And that he kind of struggles with being an affectionate fatherly figure, but he is trying his best, damn it. I would love to see a Terminator movie that, like, um, did something like it was, like, closer to like a like a like thriller that's oh like it's like someone like matt smith or like someone's like oh like they start to like date this woman and like they're going to meet her sister then like you find out oh this is sarah connor's sister and like she's been dating this terminator that's like been trying to find sarah connor this whole time or something that would be cool to me like a like whole different like genre on that oh yeah that would be because that's what i was joking about it's just like you have like all these terminators that keep trying to go back and like like, on her family line kill the Connor family, but, like, in various weird and creative, like, ways. That might be, that might be one of them. Yeah, like, have that kind of a thriller being, like, dating her sister, or, like, to try to get close to Sarah, or maybe you have, like... Braveheart. Braveheart, or, like, you know, just send it, you know, send it back far enough where it's, like, one of her, like, ancient family, like, not ancient, but, like, older family members... So, like, if you did something like Old West Terminator, you send it back and it's, like, her great-great-great-grandmother or whatever who's just trying to make a life out in California and now she's being haunted by, like, some weird, like, man that cannot be taken down by traditional means. And then there's a scene where the Terminator, like, loses, like, a finger in a railroad track and they turn that finger into bullets and that's how they kill the Terminator and That's action movies to me. <laughs> yeah. This movie though uh it's we said it's like a like great action movie like a like great terminator movie um ranks pretty high as far as like like just like a good like practical effects or just like a like summer movie but um is there anything else that like really sticks out that like we haven't like covered on how much we like this movie 
Oh no. Um, let's see here. I could go on for hours, unfortunately, and I know <laughs> we don't have time for that. Uh, but uh -oh. it's just so much of this movie is like you kind of said earlier. A lot of stuff, like people think of the action beats and whatever, but a lot of what makes this movie great is really that human element in the heart of it. And um, you know, you're having basically was it. You are Kurt, Ashley, that said it's like a boy and his dog. I think that was me. Because I feel like somebody said that once about Terminator, or I might just be mixing it up with Star Wars. But, like, that's very much the vibe, is that, like, it's... And, and not necessarily saying that, like, that's the only vibe happening here, but it's basically, it is a little bit of a coming-of-age movie for John. And, like, it's... But instead of having, like, a dog or a human best friend that he learns emotion like that he learns an emotional uh through line from um it's a giant robot that looks like a human that is a stand-in for his dad because he does not have one it's better than a boy and his dog because yeah. i love how that's i love that it's an analogy and then you actually look up the movie or watch and you're like this is weird yeah i mean it's it's an analogy that definitely makes sense in my head i mean in terms of like having to explain like that coming of age yeah. kind of vibe like that this, it has. Because it's like you're dealing with, like, John Coet getting older and, like, you know, I guess if you, like, get away from the movie, it's like, uh, you know, boys and dog as in, like, your childhood pet. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, but, and especially because it's, like, coming of age, it, it does have a coming of age aspect, but, like, coming of age for John is having to learn to be a leader in an in impending robot apocalypse and also how to like learn that maybe that this is not quite set in stone and he can make his own fortune his own future and fortune um and then uh, other aspect i love is that so then they go then they cross the border and i forget the name of the guy enrique that they meet enrique that's it i love the part where like <laughs> the term like the T eight hundred bends down and picks up the baby. The baby just picks it up by the overalls. Just studies the baby. <laughs> it's like it's so like it's so funny to me because that's how I feel like when I meet children under the age of like five. <laughs> like what's a baby? It's like what is this? <laughs> Which is very funny because about emotionally he's about the same age as a baby. Right. <laughs> he's learning about the world. But also, if a big baby met a little baby, they would pick up the little baby. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this this actually works. Uh, it's just, I just, I just love like just the physical humor of that scene. It's so subtle, but like just the just the way that like Arnold is just staring at the baby, trying to make sense of it. Ter the Terminator Two had a lot of just random funny bits. Mm, it does, These yeah. These yeah. funny beats that kind of add levity to a situation. Yeah, because like the smile scene, the the bit with the baby, or uh, Arnold's delivery on all of that '90s like yeah. um, slang that John is trying to teach him. Like it, it all works so well. <laughs> uh, and then also, it's used in a more like uh, slasher movie moment when it's done by the T1000. Because I know the T1000 yeah. has a lot of comedy, oh, yeah. beats, but it's mostly in a. Very like slasher movie, like say that's a nice bike, and you know, get out and all that yeah. stuff. I will say I love the fact that like 
He plays the, like, Robert Patrick played the T-1000 in the second Wayne's World movie, and he did nothing yes. different to his performance. Yes, have you seen this, boy? <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I actually, like, love that's, like, not intentional, maybe, but uh, have you seen, like, a movie that, like, goes back to, like, a historical time? They just, like, are like, oh, this is that 1953 so everybody's driving the latest cars. And I like how this is a movie set in 95 and like the technology and like stuff is 1991. That's like more believable to me, even if <laughs> by complete accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I'm like, I don't, cause like I, my Ford Taurus, my first car was a Ford Taurus from 1993. It didn't look that much different than the cars like that were presented in like Terminator 2. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think I think the best future out of this is 1995 was Dyson working on the AI. But everything else is like, oh, yeah, that's more believable. Yeah, I mean, I think like the one thing that I would say is that cars did start getting a little bit more rounder and like, I want to say 94. Um, but you can't exactly predict that, I guess. It looks better that you didn't, honestly. <laughs> but no, <laughs> um, so. I think we've come to the end, though, and uh, there are some questions we always ask at the end of an uh, episode of uh, My Common Riders Meet when my cat's not trying to knock my desk down. But, <laughs> uh, so, uh, who were everyone's top three characters in this movie? Oh, shit. Yeah, right? Um, do you? Okay, so. Uh, Any order. T1000 still, like, when I was a kid to now, T1000 still pretty top up there. Um, do I give away the Sith War of having a character shrine to this character? Yes. Yes, I did. Do I had I... a character, sh- I had a website character sh- shrine that I updated decently regularly to this fucking character. So, if you knew of this person, uh, I'm trans now, uh, and I'm <laughs> on testosterone and I'm no longer 12. So, uh, make you feel old. Uh, Dyson, definitely up there. I've appreciated him definitely more in time. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm going to say John, just because Sarah and the Terminator are kind of like my main favorites throughout the series. So I'm just going to settle with John, and especially <laughs> like John being like, you know, he he's kind of a, you know, he's he's starting to realize like, yes, I need to be a leader in this movie, but he's also like, he he's got that vulnerability and empathy that Sarah has, and yeah. Sarah tries to like flush out, and John pretty much grips her back into that. Yeah, and I think that is kind of what eventually makes John an effective leader is the fact that he is an empathetic person. Yeah, McG. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. fight McG. I don't want to get into it, but I do yeah. think. One thing you definitely pointed out that uh, was there's definitely a far second, third, fourth, whatever place for the other cinematic portrayals of John Cotter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I almost said something there that I'm like, nope, nope, no spoilers. Uh. Who are your favorite characters, Ashley? Okay, so favorite character. Okay, so three favorite characters in Terminator Two. Um. Okay. Well. Honorable mention to John's friend uh, that was he was hanging out with at the beginning of the movie. Because that kid knew, oh, not to talk to cops. <laughs> um, what was that kid's name? Like, 
He was so quick, I, but he I knew not to talk to cops. He was from Salute Your Shorts. Tim. Tim. Tim, that's it. And he's like his his he's got that nineties like mullet going on. He's, he's a Warhorse fan. Yeah, that I know a Warhorse fan when I see one. Um but yeah, I think my three favorite characters I would say are probably I mean, Sarah Connor is just my favorite character in the franchise, so I may be cheating a little to say Sarah Connor, um, but Sarah Connor. Um, probably go with the T-800 after that, and then I guess, you know what, I, I would say John. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's a tough so. movie. There's like six like solid characters that can all fight for that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is like... The, I I'm with Sid. I I I do appreciate John in the third movie and the route they took with him. But like, I feel like this is the only movie where you kind of really get a super good John Connor. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I'm gonna say Dyson's my in there. Yeah, Dyson. I feel like yeah. You know, if I if it was top five, I would definitely Dyson's Dyson. definitely like top five in my franchise. I, I only really yeah. did exclude Sarah the T-800 because I'm like, you're just going to say them anyway. They're just the top two. Yeah. Maybe Dyson, Sean, Sarah would be if I was ranking my list. That's the top three. Mm-hmm. But Sarah, just damn. Like, there's a reason that, like, it became like an archetype. But I wish that um, Linda Hamilton and, like, Sigourney Weaver got their, like, buddy comedy movie the same way that, um like, Susan Sarandon and, like, Kildy Hahn have well, that would be great. Oh yeah, do they do their own version of Death Becomes Her, but like, um, just a little bit older and maybe a little bit more like we dealt with James Cameron yeah. Scraggly. <laughs> they also had like one like ten years ago that was about like moms who wanted to go back to rock concerts now that their kids were in college or whatever. Oh, Susan Sarandon, Goldie Hawn, yeah. I was I I forgot about that one. Of course, my my gay brain immediately went like, oh yeah, Death Becomes Her. <laughs> That's a great movie. You definitely forget a lot of the like weird fat shaming stuff in it, though, when you watch it again for the first time in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And Isabel Rossellini is way too hot in that movie. <laughs> what was our favorite effect scene that we saw in the movie? Uh, hmm. That's a good yeah, question. Hard. Okay, I'm going to go with what was in the original cut of the movie and then what was in the extended. Okay. The original cut of movie really is the T-1000 fight scene with the T-800 and when, like, he, you know, the body and he, like, flips back over. That's probably was a lot of work. That does not seem like a lot of work. And I still pop to it to this day. You know, when he just slams against the wall with face first and he switches over. Um, Because there's a lot of weird effects in this movie that were great. But um, also on the level, I would say definitely was good, was the extended scene in the uh, garage where they're, you know, cutting into, you know, the T-800's head to get the chip out. Because you had, you know, you had the the dummy mirror, basically, with, like, um, I think it was Linda and Arnold on that side so he could do the, the lip rating. And then on the other side of that, and, and then like a, a like a grip or something to be John. But on the other side, you had uh, Leslie Hamilton and you had the um, Stan Winston puppet, you know, that was pretty good and lifelike. And it's like, it still looks so real and visceral. 
And you wouldn't oh, even yeah. think that they that they did the mirror like that. And I think the reason is because the, the camera equipment kept getting into the mirror. Yeah, I think it's why it's always been a struggle to do mirror shots in film is because you need to do it in such a way that the camera doesn't catch into it. And we, we've done, we, like, we've tried stuff with that before, like, just using, like, photo still photography, and it's fucking hard. Oh, God, that one picture I took of you, and it took, like, several fucking takes. And I'm still proud of that shot. Yeah, no, it turned out great, but it was just, like, it was, yeah, it was tough. And, like, I I, I can understand why James Cameron's, like, I'm just going to use, twin like, Linda's twin here yeah. to make it work. Oh, God, because I'm, like, trying to think about, like, okay, this one's not my favorite, but it is definitely the most viscerally gross in the film of the part where like the T eight hundred D gloves his arm. That's yeah. Oh oh the other we just forgot to mention that with the horror bit, you know. Oh oh so fucking gross. But like I I think it's it, like it's such it adds such that visceral tone that I think that moment needs. Um because it like that's the that's the most horrifying way you could present to like miles dyson like hey so uh here's what your work is about to accomplish um i would probably say though i think my favorite effect in the film and it's probably a basic bitch answer but just that scene where the t1000 squeezes mm. between the bars yeah. i'm like i don't know how that manages to look still so good even like more than 30 years on the best part to me is that there's a limitation, like he can't keep his gun. I love that that little detail is there. Yeah. 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 It's like, and like, he kind of, uh, like, he kind of just, like, he notices that it gets stuck and then he kind of just, like, moves it in a way and, like, uh, gets it through the bars. Yeah. I think that's, that is such a really good effect. Um, and then, like, I think also the effect of, like, when he's impersonating um, John's foster mom. And, like, uh, you know, again, the whole, like, turning the arm into the blade Milk. and then, like, coming back. I think that, that still looks really yeah. good as well. Uh, that arm scene is probably it for me, though. Uh, just, like, a second, like, little, uh, not an effect, but a consistency detail has to be that they really, they never do the thing where, like, they show an explosion and, like, don't show, like, who's there. So, like, you can actually track. The T-800 doesn't kill anybody the whole movie. It burns some people, shoots people in the leg, but it is actually consistent. And I, and I love that, actually watching it and being like, huh, no murders here. Um, yeah, even before, like, because even in when he's, like, trying to find John in the mall, like, like the one that shoots that one employee is the T-1000. Yeah. And a quick shout out uh, to uh, uh, Teresa Dyson. She also does a has way less and like one scene basically but she acts her ass off by the way <laughs> just a little like small role oh yeah she has like she has even less time even if you consider like the extended cut than um than dyson uh the miles rather but yeah she does a great especially like the scene in the extended cut where Teresa is this basically tells like um you know tells miles that you need to spend more time with your family and like she's not being nagging and it's like they have this like this like interesting kind of push and pull in the scene where like you know John, like obviously miles is talking about how proud he is of his work and what he envisions for it but she basically is like you know don't forget to like spend time with us here in the present too the last question though of course 
Always the hardest mm-hmm. question. Of course. What was everybody's favorite outfit from the movie? Oh, shit. Um, mm, okay. I'm calling dibs on uh, the mullet kid, Tim. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. Um, Terminator's look always iconic, in my opinion. That that particular look with the leather jacket and everything is very iconic to that character. That was a historically, actually, the last unironic use of the song Bad to the Bone in the movie. <laughs> yeah that tracks of course we were like we were reminiscing about the fact that like um i think it was for t- promotion for like when i say 2k like wwe 2k 18 or one of the 2k games where like they just recreated the entire like opening scene with the the t800 but with wwe wrestlers and like john moxley was the guy who was like he forgot to say please <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, we had just remembered that when watching it. <laughs> uh, but probably favorite outfit. Um yeah. It's all very nineties. Um I feel like Linda Hamilton, like like when you see Sarah in the desert mm, before she puts the yeah. hat on. I, I, I feel like that's the outfit that launched a thousand lesbians. Because <laughs> you see like the arms, the glasses, like the way her hair is pulled up, like she got the cigarette hanging out of her mouth. There's honestly a, like a, I would say a good chunk of good lesbian fashion in the movie. Like even though, like you only see like four women, I think the entire time. Because like you know you got that. Um, I would say like even though obviously John is a boy but like the, the the like the vibe he had going on with the public enemy shirt and the floppy kind of like emo hair oh, yeah. and like the the plaid like shirt he was wearing over it i'm like that that's got a little bit of like a baby lesbian vibe going on i think i was gonna <laughs> say that honestly and i'm like i'm gonna let our, the actual lesbian say it <laughs> so yeah uh, one last thing uh but like I definitely had a bit of confusion when Kristen Stewart started to like pop off. I was like, oh, I'm glad that John Connor's in more stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say like, yeah, yeah, I would say I I would watch a a Terminator movie with Kristen Stewart. Like not necessarily as like Sarah Connor, but maybe as like as uh, the Joanna Connor. The the sister. Yeah, like maybe like as yeah, as like a sister or like if it's an alternate universe where like um Sarah had a girl instead of a boy. Um I, I know that Sid often jokes about the, their trans. One of, one of the um, multiverse. I was about to say I, it out. It's like one yeah. of the one of the multiverses of those is or one of the spinoff timelines is Sarah definitely thought she had a girl and it no, that was a trans baby. And we just made the joke of just like Sarah be like, okay, do you know how to kill a robot? Yeah, or like if John like is like, "Mom, I'm gay," and uh, here's my boyfriend, she'd be like, "Cool. Do you know? Like, does your boyfriend know how to shoot a gun?" <laughs> Sarah would be so happy um, if like it was like, "Oh, you've worked so much good military stuff, and you're trans." The, the Terminators will never figure it out. So excited. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I just Sarah's pragmatic. It's like I think that kind of carried over a little bit into a comic that Teeny Howard wrote called Assassinistas, where it's basically about um this 
assassin mother who like her son keeps trying to come out as gay to her and she eventually like he introduces her to his boyfriend and her she, basically her response is like well can your boyfriend help with this mission we're on that entire book is really fucking hilarious if uh, you find it. Uh, my copies are now with a wrestler a yeah Daniels, it's with right? Christopher Daniels yeah oh okay it gave him my copy yeah, of Assassinistas we- we we have at least three wrestlers that we've given Teeny Howard books to. <laughs> it, it seems to work because I remember when we last saw Daniels in person, he was just like, "Oh yeah, I've been loving Teeny," and like her running like death head, death head, death yeah. head, yeah. And it's like that's how you know he's a real Marvel nerd. He like like <laughs> death head. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Uh, but also, uh, what's incredible is that. This is not the only place where uh, you talk about your love of uh, practical effects and more specifically tokusatsu. And uh, where can we find you when you're uh, not here, Rage Plane Crew? Well, that's what it is, I guess. Uh, Yeah, well, uh, you can find us on uh, Rangers Plane, which is our podcast where we watch Power Rangers or read something related to Power Rangers or American Tokusatsu every month. And... You can find us basically anywhere you listen to a podcast, uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google. I think we're also on Amazon that you can just say, hey, Alexa, play Ranger's Plane and we'll pop up for you. Um, and you can find us all in the central on the central zone of rangersplane.wordpress.com or uh, find us on Twitter at Ranger's Plane. Are you on comics right now or is Ninja Steel next? I, I'm not sure where you're at. Um. Basically, right now, we are working our way through Hyperforce, so we've been doing Buffer Comics. So our next episode is that we're going to be looking at some of the old archive comics, basically. So, like, like what the Power Rangers comics were when they were Marvel, Hamilton, Mm. um, Valiant, Paper Cuts. Like, we, we took a look at that, and then I think we should be finally to Hyperforce in October. November, November, we're trying to aim for. Yeah, we'll be there by finally be there by November, and by December, by the end of the year, we should be um, done with the Neo Saban era okay. with Ninja Steel. Uh, anything else to plug your Etsy store or anything? I know there's. Uh, yeah, I, I do soaps and candles at Koda's Magical Crafts. You can find me on Square uh, at Koda's, Koda's Magical Crafts Same with the Etsy name. And my Twitter handle is Codas Crafts, and you can find a link tree that can then go take you to Instagram, which is the same name, and then TikTok, which is also Codas Magical Crafts. Yeah, and my shop is um, ashley Um Basically, or is it Ashley Lickwold? Whatever. Um, but yeah, you can find my shop where I sell zines, um, some comic anthologies I've been in. As well as this entire backlog of masks I made in 2020 yeah. that I keep marking them down and I'm trying to get people to get rid of them. Um, hopefully by the end of the year, I should be in having tote bags again. You could find uh, me on Twitter.com at James Forge. You can find the podcast at Comrade Me on social media. There's Comrade.com for episodes and articles. There is a uh, slash episodes for uh, links out to different platforms, uh, including you can rate and review on Apple and Spotify. There's Comrade.com uh, slash merch. Uh, as always, a hundred percent of the like proceeds from her merch goes to charities. Uh, I think we'll have a new one soon. Uh, but right now we're still with um like Trans Lifeline as we uh, swap around. Uh, 
and there is a new merch soon but our uh latest piece was our uh comrade deno woman want me fish fear me shirt <laughs> get that <laughs> and then the very last thing is did we learn anything what did we learn? Um, I learned that I still fucking love this movie. I learned that ACAB includes robot cops. It's definitely <laughs> robot cops. I can't top that, but I guess uh, I learned um, sometimes it's better to like swear like it's the 90s. Just go like scuzz, bucket, piss, train, whatever, you know? Dipstick. Yeah. Dipstick. Yes, it was on the FX. Anything yes. that you could um, like spray paint on the wall in Free Willy is like fair game, I think. Hasta la vista, baby.